0: Anybody listening last week? I say so a lot. Hey, uh, so so we are um, again. This is the, uh, we're calling this the Year of Biblical Literacy. Uh, we have we started out as seven threads. Uh, we're actually in, moved it to eight threads, and we're we're in the middle of a thread right now. What what's the point of a thread? If this is the first time listening to this, um, the dribblings of the man up front uh, that we I believe in. I believe. No, I'm not. We're done with this eight. So, I think the scriptures tied together through a number of threads that are telling one unified story. That's not my idea. I learned it from other people. It's telling one unified story to point us towards redemption and the redemption comes through the person of Jesus Christ. All of these threads uh, have different uh, viewpoints and things that we look in on, and we follow the story along. And right now, our current thread is covenants, and I added this one because I felt like it's important for us to understand as we get ste- as we step into the next kind of thread, which is happening in a couple weeks uh, that I call that we're calling kingdoms. Is that there's a reason why uh, these kingdoms exist? There's a reason why God's establishing kingdoms. There's a reason why God's doing this, and it's because. Uh, he makes partnerships with his creation, with people in his creation. And, and having a grasp on that is important. Understanding that these covenants are, are a way to involve creation in what he's doing, it, it, it definitely elevates the role of God in our lives, and specifically in the stories that we've been reading. And so we're in this covenant series or thread. The first thread was Origins. And the whole point of that was not the origins of the world, but the origins of why scripture matters and creating a framework for us that where the Bible has authority in our lives. Because if the Bible doesn't have authority, a year of biblical literacy makes no sense. It's like, it's just completely useless. And so if we're going to spend an entire year talking about what the Bible's trying to tell us, and really, frankly, it's like it's telling us one thing, and I'm going to say it 52 times. <laughs> that you have to, it has to have authority in your life. And that that's so important. So we went through a doctrine of scripture and inerrancy and, and all of these just different um, words, clarity and sufficiency that give it authority in our life. So when we read it, we know that it's God's words and God's words are true. And we, and we believe. Okay. So last week I introduced uh, the concept of covenants, and we spent some time in Genesis 15. And we have two more weeks of this, and, and what we're going to do the next two weeks is I'm just going to let the scriptures kind of speak for themselves, and we're going to read a couple of the covenants in their entirety. And I want you to hear them, and it's, and, and understand. And I'll maybe explain a little bit, but it's very clear what God's telling and what the, the, the deal he's making with people. Next week, we're going, to, we're going to drop in this morning mostly on the Mosaic Covenant, God's covenant with his people, the, the nation of Israel, that he, where he begins to bring in kind of the constitution of the, is, of the Israelites, the Hebrews, and gives them rules to live by. We're going to land there and kind of camp there for a bit. Next week, we're going to talk about the Davidic Covenant, and then we're going to move on to kingdoms. Now, kingdoms, I want to give just a brief view. This is really important for you to understand. When Jesus arrives in the New Testament, and kingdoms will run all the way up till Easter, um, when Jesus arrives and he comes on the scene, John the Baptist, the forerunner, uses the king, He says a phrase: "The kingdom of heaven is here." And Jesus, when he talks, says, "The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's in here and now." Well, what's he saying? Like, what does that mean even? And so we're going we're gonna to talk through some of the Old Testament kingdoms and what God is doing through the kingdom idea um, so that it gives us credibility or even um, ownership is probably the best way to look at it. Because every kingdom has a king. And who is your king? So I just gave it all away. Yeah, maybe I don't have to do it anymore. But, so that's the idea of kingdoms. There's a king that has ownership and rule and reign. And so we're going to spend some time working through that. All right, so the covenants. Here we go. Turn with me. Well, first of all, what is a covenant? Covenant is a a chosen relationship where somebody... uh, Offers some uh, terms to an agreement, and the participating partner agrees to those terms. Sometimes those covenants have rules; sometimes they don't. A lot of times in the Bible, when we talk about covenants with God, they're unconditional covenants. And there's a couple that we're going to read. So this morning, turn me to Genesis nine. This is uh, the, no, the covenant God made with Noah. And, and every covenant with, within Scripture that God uses has a symbol or some sort of thing that He He wants the people to do or to exercise, so as a sign of the covenant. But Genesis Genesis 9, so just for, you know, this is after God destroyed everything. So, so he like everything's dead, except for everybody in the ark and Noah and his family. Children's story 101. We're excited. Pick me up. Genesis 9, verse 12. This is the covenant. And we're, again, I'm just going to let the scriptures speak for themselves, and we're going to land with Exodus. Genesis 9, verse 12. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures. For all generations to come, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am conferring with all the creatures of earth. You remember a few years ago, I should have had this video. I should have. I mean, in real time. Remember the double rainbow guy? And it's like, oh, dude, it's a double rainbow across the sky, and he's freaking out. And like, he's like, there's like these two rainbows, and he's like, spazzing out. And he's like, that guy is smoking something, and he was, I and mean, he really was. But he's like, there's, and he was like, he was going crazy over these rainbows. The rainbows are so sweet, and really, rainbows are cool. I like them. And science has tried to find a way to make the rainbow something other than this. And science actually. Is is true. That's what a rainbow is. It's like I don't you you science people, you can do science, you math people, you can do math, I do words. And so I I don't know any of that stuff, and I ignorance is best for me because I can just talk. And so but the rainbow is this the sign and, and it is really cool when when it's like when there's a lot of water and like I remember being a little kid and spraying my hose in the backyard and seeing the rainbow and be like, look, I made a rainbow mom and she's so proud of me because I made rainbows, and I was like the first generation of the trophy children. Because I made a rainbow in my backyard and she congratulated me and I felt value and worth because of the rainbow. She didn't tell me the story of God's destruction of the earth associated with the rainbow. She just was proud that I made a rainbow. But again, God promised. And the sign of that promise was I I won't flood the earth. I won't destroy it through flood. And every time it rains, you can look to the sky and you can see a rainbow. And that's that's my promise to you. That I've made a deal with my creation. Again, if we think about this, it, it, is it the rainbow? What, what I, when I read this, I get excited because it's, it's God interrupting and saying, "This is mine." We tend to give credit to the rainbow and get excited about the rainbow and say it's never going to flood. And in fact, I've made some sort of with with certain arguments. I've made some sort of like global warming thing. Like God's not going to, who cares if the ice caps smell, it doesn't matter. God's not going to flood the earth again. He made a promise. He wouldn't flood the earth. But, <laughs> don't use that. It's not really good science, but, <laughs> um, what I get excited about in this covenant is God saying, this is mine. I have ownership over this. I can do with it what I want. When we read Genesis 9 with that framework and we say, God made a deal with his creation and it's unconditional. Nobody had to do anything with it. Nobody had to agree to terms. Nobody had to pony up a a, a deposit. Nobody had to do anything. There's no HOA. There's nothing other than I'm here and I get to live under your rule, reign, and authority. And you promised out of your divine benevolence, out of your divine grace, out of your divine everything, you're acknowledging this is mine and I won't destroy it like I just did. That tells us a lot about God. He's involved, He's active, He cares, He's interested. You ever had a conversation with somebody who's like, God doesn't care about my life? And you're like, no, look at the rainbow. Don't use that one either. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. But it is one of those things to where I get excited because God promised that he's going to care for his creation. And here's here's the thing. When we watch the news, we look at the world, and we we point out all the bad things, we can turn to Genesis 9 and go, no, God is involved. He cares. He cares. Humanity tries really hard to push God out of the picture. But clearly, Genesis 9 says, I have made a promise with all living creatures, with my creation. I promise to care for it. It's mine. How arrogant is humanity to say that we can control what's happening on earth? It is the most, like, ridiculous... I mean, we need to not, like, throw trash in the ocean... It's not smart, like we, ladies. If you're snorkeling, don't wear a hair tie. It it kills things. But besides like, in, when you're on a <laughs> when you're on a trail, don't throw your garbage when you're hiking, right? Like we've been hiking, we don't. That's not great. Like let's have some common sense. But it is. There's an arrogant side of humanity where we think we're lords and creators of all things, that, that everything originates with us. To where we remove divine authorship, we remove divine authority, we remove divine protection, we remove divine creation, we remove divine everything from the equation because now we're responsible. Now, are we stewards? Yes. Steward and responsibility, they're close. We're stewards of what God has given us. We're not owners. You don't own anything. We have been given a lease. On your body, on the property that you're paying a mortgage on, or some of you who are blessed who don't have a mortgage, you have been given an opportunity to steward that space, but you have no authorship in it. And once that kind of lands on us, we go, okay, I'm gonna give credit where credit's due. I'm gonna put it in the proper space in my life. I'm going to not give anyone else credit, or I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna take, I'm not going to take undue ownership to something that's not yours. You see how we get territorial when we act that way? We push people out when we act that way. I, when I read Genesis nine and I think about the, God's covenant with Noah, it's, it's not Noah are the people that He's talking to. The covenant is with His creation. He loves what He created. And he wants it to thrive and live under subjugation to him. And he promises not to destroy it in the way he did before. Get to the end of the story. There's a cosmic collision. It's kind of fun. All right. <laughs> now, here, move with me to the next covenant, Genesis. Genesis 12. I said this in this pulpit. It was over there, I remember, and we were facing this direction. This is the most important passage in scripture, I believe. You can argue with me, but it's a fun argument. Genesis 12. The Lord had said, beginning, beginning at the story, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All All the families of earth will be blessed because of you. God's making a promise, not with creation now, but through a family unit. We talked about it during adult Sunday school. I highly encourage you to come. It's a raucous conversation, and you get to learn all kinds of wild things and bad theology from Mark, one of our elders. (laughs) Sorry to throw you under the bus. (laughs) We have a good conversation in there. Get up, set your alarms for nine o'clock, and get to Sunday school. I'm telling you, it's fun. We we have good conversation. But what we this morning, as we were talking, one of the stories is that the Bible is about one family unit that begins its journey to the ends of the earth, to the end of creation, till when heaven meets earth. It's the story of the Bible. That's when you understand that and you follow that story, it is, it is a beautiful result. And you can see how God continues to enlarge his participation. So right now, God is centering in on one family, Abram. And he's saying through you, I want you to do this thing, this thing, this thing. And I will bless all of those around you and everybody who comes in. And forever and ever, the nations will be blessed because of this activity. And last week we talked about Genesis 15, and, and this, is, um, this is where no uh, no, I'm sorry. Abram says, "How can I be sure that you will bless me the way that you promised that you would bless me? How can I be sure?" And he goes and tells him to make this cut all these animals in half. And, and in ancient times, the way in which a covenant was ratified would be, Mark, we're going to do an example together. Come here, come here, come here. I'm going to cut you in half. You never knew you were going to have a magic trick, right? Get into the box, Vanna. (laughs) So there'd be the dead animals on this side, the dead animals on that side. And we're going to do it just for comic effect. They would hold hands, and they would walk. We would skip through the aisle together, right? So think about this. When you get married, thank you. Thank you, Vanna. I appreciate it. When you get married, kiss you. <laughs> but that was a way to ratify the covenant. That was how, that was how the covenant was given its, uh, its legitimacy, is the partners in, in the covenant would walk the sacrifice together. In the story in Genesis 15, what happens? Who's the only one who passes the covenant? God, he's the only one. He goes by, and Abram gets this vision, this dark vision of all the things that are happening. This is another unconditional covenant in the moment, like saying, I'm going to do this for you. There's a, I'm going to benevolently choose you. I'm going to call you out, and through you, I'm going to bless the nations. And if we were to follow the genealogies out of Abram's line, who comes? Let's get all the way to the end. It's Jesus. Now we have a fun, like multiple chapters of history and kings and kingdoms and judges and chaos and exile and Babylon and Egypt and and all of the things. But God says, I'm choosing you and I'm gonna ratify that covenant not by anything that you do, but because I do. Now later on in the story, God asked Abram to give a sign of the covenant. Was that circumcision? Thank you. Circumcision. And every man that's marked under this covenant would be circumcised. And that would be a sign that you're under this covenant, that you've walked the aisle with me. God promising to bless the nations. I'm going to partner with people for my redemptive history. What's that? That's right. That's right. Mark, stay on the table. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you for being you. Turn me to Exodus 19. Now, why walk through these covenants? These are significant points in Hebrew history. Again, all pushing towards Jesus, all of them. So, in adult Sunday school, another or Sunday school actually is what we're calling it. It has high school, a junior high, and high school in there, which they get to witness and hear good conversation from adults. It's generational teaching. We're going through Exodus, beginning to end we're walking through it. It's an important book. It really unpacks a lot of what God's trying to do and gives us a a, a future look into what he's calling the church to do in a lot of ways. So Exodus 19. So we're not going to give away. We're just going to assume that everything has already happened. <laughs> and so the, the people of Israel end up where? They end up Mount Sinai. Let's listen to this. I'm going to read all of this, and I want you to hear this. This is what the word of God is telling us about covenants. Let the scripture speak for itself. I might add some commentary or dance down an aisle with Mark. I don't know yet, but hear this. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my special treasure from among all the peoples of earth. That's a very important term of the agreement. If you keep my covenant, you will be my special treasure and very special among all of the people of earth. You'll be different. I'm going to set you apart, but now he's given terms. There's a condition. You have to follow the plan. For all the earth belongs to me. Now, again, going back to Noah, yes, clearly all the earth belongs to God. God is reiterating, and you'll find this through the Old Testament. There's a reiteration of covenant after covenant. There's a reminder, and we're going to get into that in just a minute, and then we'll be done. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders and the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord had commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud. Moses. So the people themselves can hear me and speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready, for, ready on the third day. For on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as the people watch. There's no surprises. Have them ready on the third day. Think about these, these threads that run through all of Scripture. When God continues to show himself, you're going to hear it for the next year. There's, there's going to be this callback, callback, callback to what God's doing. And it's all about his redemption. Everything in Scripture is pointing to his redemption. Moses told, consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes. Be sure to be ready on the third day for the day of the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off the boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, (rospectively) stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However... When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. So Moses went down to the people. He consecrated them for worship and they washed their clothes. He told them, get ready for the the third day until then abstain from having sexual intercourse. On the morning of the third day thunder roared, lightning flash, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain and there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down, On the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. But the Lord, but Lord, Moses protested. The people cannot come up to to Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me, mark off the boundary all around the mountain to set it apart as holy. But the Lord said, go down and bring Aaron back up with you. In the meantime, do not let the priests or the people break through to approach the Lord, or he will break out and destroy them. So Moses went down to the people and told them what the Lord had said. Then God gave the people these instructions. And what do we get next? Ten commandments. You get the the rules to live by. You get the instructions on how, how it's supposed to look. You get the order by which they're supposed to live going forward. And there's like 600 plus laws. We, take, we carve out the Ten Commandments, but there are piles and piles of laws. And it's how they're supposed to live. These are the rules of the covenant. In order for you to live under my reign, this is how I want you to live. And most of that thing, like we look at it and we go, that could be legalism. And I'll get into that in just a second. But in this particular situation, what he's beginning to do is reestablish his people think about where it started with with noah i promise I promise that I won't destroy my creation, my creation, all living creatures. I won't, this traumatic thing that happened to the earth, I'll never do it again. And so through you, this people group, I will, I will continue to bless and care for. And then he arrives to Abram and says, I'm gonna, I want you to move from here to here. And I want you to go and be in this place and you'll be my people. And through you, I will bless the nations. Not only bless you, but the nations. And remember, Abram was probably the richest man on the planet at one point he was the Jeff Bezos of the world the Elon Musk of the planet he had it all and God was using him and and shaping him but where do they all end up where did everybody we found out they all end up in Egypt everybody ends up in Egypt and this is the moment where God begins to go back call back again to my people and where I want my people to be And it's the promised land. It's the land in which I called you out of your place, the land of Ur, to go to. And I'm going to establish the rules by which you're going to live when you enter this land. Here are the rules, the Ten Commandments. This is God's benevolent grace. He called them out of Egypt. Now, we, when, we, when we look at the beginning, they're under slavery oppression. They were living a content, complacent life. And just by the sheer benevolence, the grace of God, he says, I'm going to take my people back. I'm going to reestablish my people through the promise I made to Abram, to Abraham. The stories of Genesis are going to come to life now through Moses and this promise I made to him. And so now we begin to see the order and and structure by which these people live. Now here's where I I think it's interesting, these covenants and why they matter. When God calls you out or calls the people out and in this particular covenant, he's asking them to live a certain way. And many times we go, I don't want to live the way you've called me to live. I kind of would like to live the way I want to live. And when we live the way we want to live, it usually ends in destruction. It ends in Egypt. We end in a place to where we're separated from God. God's establishing the law, not for rules and regulations, but to show the nations how to live better. How to live more justly. How to live more generously. How to live more righteously. How to live... Under authority of a divine benefactor, of a sovereign God who has control of heavens and earth. How to live in a kingdom where your king isn't persuaded or moved by selfishness or greed or oppressing you. But your king is the king of heavens and earth. This is the beginning of building a community of people who trust, obey, and live in accordance to God's rule and reign. Turn with me real quick. So Exodus 24 is is kind of a neat chapter. We're not going to get into that because I'm going to wrap up here. Through the rest of the Old Testament, God reiterates these covenants. He reiterates the promise. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31. These are famous passages that you've heard before. Jeremiah 31, 31, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Next week, we're going to talk about the Davidic covenant with David, what's happening here. But, but now God is, is saying, I brought and made, rule, made a covenant with your people, and this is, there's something new coming. And that new covenant we already said is Jesus This covenant will not be like the one I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instruction deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach the relatives. saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. This is a promise to expand, expand beyond this family, expand beyond this nation, expand beyond the, the, the thing that they know to the entirety of the world. It's a promise that this covenant is going to expand to where we said in Sunday school today, whosoever believes in Jesus can be a part of everyone who believes in Christ will be a part of this new covenant. This promise that he's giving that you won't, you, you won't have to teach anybody about me because everyone will know about me. Turn with me to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, picking up with verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put in you a new spirit. And I will take out your stony, stubborn, silly heart, I added silly, and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. And you will be my people and I will be your God. Not will we just have this relational covenant thing. We are going to deep dive into connectivity. Not, you're not just going to follow the rules, but I'm going to know you. I'm going to know you. And remember, last week I talked about God got, I, I made a joke. God got so tired of people failing that he made a deal with himself. So he sent Jesus. He said, The only way we're going to win is if I send myself, I'll fix it through me. But there's a relational depth that God is continuing to pursue because his people continue to fail. And he said, I will know you. I will, you will be my people. I will be your God. Let me remind you how much I care for you. Let me re- remind you all that you've been through. Let me remind you the partnership that I've committed to this creation, that all creatures in it, living in it are mine. And I will do everything for you to be reminded of that and for you not just to be reminded, but to believe it. And there's a difference when we kind of know it, but when we believe it. John 14, 15 encapsulated, says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Jesus is reiterating these things as he lives. See, you're not related in the story of redemption to a random God that has no authority or connectivity or involvement in creation. This covenant This covenant is personal. When he says, You will be my people, he killed his son for it. When we read the Easter story and we go through the New Testament, understand what happens at Easter is God sealing this passage. I will put a clean heart in you and I'm so committed to it that I'm going to kill my son for it. Because the only way, the only way that this wretched group of people can live is if I fix it. Let's go backwards to Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. And this is after the law has been given This is after the exodus has happened. This is after they've tried to figure out. And and, and again, when we read the Levitical law, you see these laws that come up and it's, 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 frankly, it's the people going, how do I do this? How do I fix this? How do we, how do we live under these, this situation? And and God adds more rules, more laws, more ways to, to do it in a way that he wants them to do it. But again, Deuteronomy 6 is where we, where the people, God's people land. And these are the commands, the decrees, and the regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And your children, your grandchildren must fear the Lord God as long as you live. If you obey all these decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Now, it's not about length of life. It's about peace in life. Long life isn't years. It's peace. It's living in presence, God's presence. When, when the, when they were reading this or ancient readers were looking at this, they weren't going, oh, I got to live for a really long time. Nice. Great. I'm 68 years old. And when I wake up, my knees creak and my back hurts when I move too fast one random morning. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about living for a long time. We're talking about living under God's presence in joy and peace. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you and you will have many children and a land in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord God of your ancestors promised. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Stating ownership. Who owns me? And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands and that I'm giving you. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them with when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorpost as on your of your house. And on your gates. Remember, the last plague, they put the lamb's blood on the doorpost. And it signified who this house belongs to. It belongs to Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. And the angel of death passed over it. Again, we're getting the same image repeated. Who owns you? Put these rules on your heart, on your doorpost. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Who owns you? Who do you belong to? That's what a covenant is. Who have you made a partnership with? It's about ownership. It's about who you belong to. Where your heart's desires l- l- live and where they. Well, who occupies that. That's what God is doing through his people. He's drawing them in. So he says, I own you. And I want you to feel the love and the grace and the care and the blessing that comes from that. That's a covenant. We're going to talk about the Davidic covenant. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. I know I just crashed the plane. But when we sing these songs, we sing uh, amazing love. This is, this is God's interruption into our space to say, I'm doing this for you. I love you so very much. And our response to that, that is amazing love. Is- Father God.